Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today I'm going to be telling you guys part two about the giggling granny. So grab yourself a cappuccino and let's dive on in. continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more crime over coffee content by signing up for our patreon you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content to check out this opportunity and sign up for the crime over coffee patreon visit www.patreon.com slash crime over coffee pod thank you again for all of your support This is part two of this episode. So if you guys didn't listen to part one, go back and listen to it. We ended part one with Nanny leaving the state of Florida and heading back to North Carolina after her second husband, Frank, had died or after she had murdered him, I guess is probably a better way to word that. So she's back in North Carolina and she's looking back through that Lonely Hearts column again. And doing that, she finds a man named Arlie Lanning, who is from Alabama but currently living in Lexington, North Carolina. Nanny and Arlie end up getting married two days after meeting each other, which I think is the start of a great relationship. (laughs) So while living in Lexington, Nanny is going about normal life. You know, everything that's happened in her past is from, she just is leaving it in the past. And she's basically restarted her life over in North Carolina. Nobody knows her there. So she is leading a really normal life and she is making a lot of friends in the community. She becomes an active member in the local Methodist church. And she's got a lot of friends with neighbors and a lot of women that she's hanging out with. But the negative to this marriage that occurred after two days of knowing one another, her husband isn't quite so faithful. So he is sneaking out around town with a bunch of prostitutes and pretty much everybody knows this. Like, it's not just, it's not a secret. Everybody knows it. And so Nanny is actually, like, gets a lot of sympathy from everybody in the community. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that your husband is doing that to you. You don't deserve that. And, like, people feel really bad for her. Which I'm sure is kind of what she was wanting, almost. I'm sure she enjoyed Mm -hmm. that attention. So a few years into their marriage in 1950, Arlie ends up dying after he had gone several days of being sick. So vomiting, dizziness, had a bunch of other symptoms. The doctors believed that he was in heart failure. Obviously very publicly upset that her husband has died. She's once again getting all the attention from everybody. Like, I'm so sorry that your husband died. And like, it's going to be okay. Let me help you and take care of you. And you know, all these people are giving her all this attention and this sympathy. She tells everybody that her husband was fine until she fed him a breakfast of prunes and coffee. And nobody finds any weirdness in the fact that her, her food made him not feel great and then lead to his death or and then led to his death i'm surprised that she would outwardly say that too i thought it was a little suspicious as well that she would just tell people but i think she was like just genuinely trying to gain their sympathy and so she's Mm -hmm. like you know i was and probably trying to make it look like she was that caretaker kind of thing like i was just trying to take care of him i was feeding him i gave him coffee and then i don't know what happened Sure, a good old breakfast of prunes and coffee. That's going to make you a shit. <laughs> well, 
that's true too. So yeah, I don't know. I thought that was weird. There's a couple more times that prunes come into play in her food and that have come into play. Like, I think it's a little weird. So at this point, Arlie has now passed away and Nanny is like, awesome. I'm going to collect some money. But she learns that her husband had actually written the will to give his sister their house. And so Nanny's pretty frustrated. So she grabs her television, which is also kind of funny and all like just the fact that she grabs her only her television. And so I will talk about that later, why I thought that was kind of funny and drives out of town. However, what I didn't tell you is that she drives out of town with the house on fire in the background. <laughs> oh my gosh. Not sure how that fire could have happened. Really suspicious, right? So right. yeah, Nanny leaves and goes and stays with Arlie's mother in a neighboring town because she has a broken hip and somebody needs to take care of her. So she's hanging out there and a few weeks later ends up getting an insurance check for the fire that happened on the house that she lived in. And the check is made out to Arlie. And because of the will, it's also made out to his sister. But while Nanny's staying there, Arlie's mom suddenly passes away in her sleep. And Nanny takes the check, cashes it illegally, grabs her television again, and yeets out of town. Yeah, so she's now been around a lot of suspicious deaths. So to keep track, there were the four children. There was her first husband's mom, Charlie's mom. There was then her second husband, Frank. Her third husband, Arlie. Arlie's mother. So we're now at eight people that have mysteriously died around this woman. And she's now leaving from North Carolina and heads back to Alabama where she was born. And she goes back to Alabama to take care of her sister, Dovey, because her sister, Dovey, is sick and she's bedridden and she needs some assistance and out of the kindness of nanny's heart she goes and takes care of her but unfortunately it's really sad and dovey dies shortly after nanny arrives i just like can't understand how she's like nobody's drawing conclusions for any of it it's just it, the thing that's weird to me at this point is it's like a lot of familial deaths like yeah her sister her two biological children her two grandsons like you would think like- Husbands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that too. You're right. So I don't know where this is, like why nobody's looking at the red flags, but they're not at this point. And so she ends up getting away with this as well and going on about her life and once again, finding herself looking for her next husband. While she's looking for her next husband, she ends up joining a trading service called the Diamond Circle Club, which was like a $15 fee to join. And she ends up finding a man named Richard Morton, who is from Jamestown, North Carolina. He's a retired salesman. The good news is he's not an alcoholic like her previous marriages were, but all like her previous marriages, he is interested in every single woman in the town. She, at this point, obviously does not have a great record for choosing good men, but she gets married to him in 1952 in Kansas. And Richard slowly starts making his way around town with a lot of different women. And Nanny's like, you know what? I'm not interested. I'm just going to leave you. And so she starts looking through the newspaper for a different man. She decides she's just, just going to leave him. Yep. Just going to leave him. Wow. That's different than her MO. I mean, I guess technically she does leave her other ones, but there's usually a step involved before that. (sighs) There's usually, like, the whole death aspect involved before she leaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
You know. I, yeah. But nope, she's just like, I'm going to just start searching through this, looking for a different man. I will say, I don't know that she was just going to leave or if she was just finding her next option mm-hmm. to leave. And then once she had her option kind of solidified, that additional step would come in where she would end up, he would end up mysteriously dying. But a kink came into her plans when in January 1953, her mom, Lou, calls and says, hey, my husband died. I'm going to come stay with you for a little while because I need somebody to stay with. So she shows up and I guess Nanny didn't like this disruption because just a few days after arriving, Nanny's mother starts to have severe stomach pains and ends up dying. Richard (laughs) sticks around at this point. He doesn't find this at all suspicious. Well, he probably also doesn't know about the history. Probably not everything. But three months later... Richard drinks a thermos full of coffee and ends up dying. Turns out that coffee had been spiked with arsenic by our lovely friend Nanny. She has to be like up there with one of the top like amounts of people she's murdered, like serial killer wise. This is a lot of people. This is a lot of people. I would agree. And it's a lot of like she she's really relying on arsenic, which is not as easy to get your hands on nowadays as it was back then. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was common, basically a common household item back in the day. What I was going to say earlier about the coffee thing is I wonder, like, I don't know. I think arsenic technically doesn't have a flavor. Is that correct? I am not sure. I would assume it had some type of tasting to it, but I'm guessing if she's moving, like mixing it with coffee and prunes... I mean, whiskey would obviously hide it. Does not have a taste. Oh, see, that's even worse. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. By the way, guys, I Google some really weird stuff on my computer. One of these days, somebody is going to call me and ask some questions. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) no taste, smell, or color. So that's interesting. But I, because I was starting to wonder some of the poisoning that she's using. I was like, is she putting it constantly in coffee and prunes? Because like they're a more bitter taste. So if it's like... I, like, I yeah. feel like in my mind, a lot of like poisons kind of have that bitter flavor is what yeah. my assumption is, just from what I know. And so I would have assumed that the bitterness from that was being used to like hide it. But it doesn't, if it doesn't have a taste, maybe it has like a very minor, like you can kind of notice it. So putting it in coffee just really overtakes that flavor, but found that interesting. Just a few months later. So this was January, 1953 that her mom died. And then, and then it's April of 1953 when Richard is murdered. And now we're in June of 1953 and Nanny has been single now for just a couple months and that is too long for her. So she finds a man named Samuel Doss and hops on a bus and goes out to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Samuel is a Nazarene minister who had just recently lost his family in a tornado in Arkansas. And so he was seeking a new relationship as well. And so they ended up getting married very quickly. I think it was all within the same month of meeting. But Samuel, and I don't know if this was because of his, because he was a minister, I don't know if it was part of his religious beliefs, he didn't approve of Nanny reading romance novels. And so he's like, you can't read those, you can't watch romance shows, and also didn't allow her to, like, educate herself in any way. He was like, no educational shows, nothing. And I don't know if that somehow reminded her of her father in some way, because he also restricted a lot of that. And so she was, a few months into the marriage, she ends up leaving Samuel and heading back to Alabama leaving him alive and heading back to Alabama. Let me rephrase that. Well, that is certainly out of character for her, so. It is absolutely out of character. However, unfortunately for Samuel, 
he calls Nanny and says, I love you so much oh. and I miss you and I would love for you to come back here. I I will loosen my hold on money. I'll let you watch whatever you want and read whatever books you want. I will even allow you to take out two life insurance policies on me with you as the beneficiary. What a weird bargaining chip. Very, very weird bargaining chip. But Nanny, of course, is like, all this money? Yeah, yeah I was going to say, I'm sure that uh, piqued her interest. He must have known her at least pretty well. <laughs> yes, known that she was very interested in money. So <laughs> she, he ends up, she ends up coming back to him. And all is well at first, but this isn't very long because they got married in June 1953. And by September of 1953, Nanny is doing her homemaking and once again, making a making dinner for Samuel. And so she makes him a homemade prune cake. And within 24 hours, he's admitted to the hospital with flu-like symptoms. The hospital diagnoses him with a severe digestive tract infection. Hmm. They treat him and he ends up being released healthy and alive on October 5th, 1953. Just a few weeks after he'd gone to the hospital. Nanny's like, let's celebrate the fact that you've been released. I'm going to make you an amazing dinner, a big dinner. Let's celebrate with supper. And I'm going to serve your supper with a side of arsenic-laced coffee. And Samuel ends up dying just a few hours after being released from the hospital, healthy and happy as can be, right? So Nanny's like, yes, I'm going to be able to cash in on the two life insurance policies that he had. I'm going to be able to get away with a lot more money. But... Finally, I was wondering when this was going to end. But (laughs) the doctor that had seen Samuel at the hospital heard about this and he's like, whoa, I just released him and he was fine. Yeah. And so he's like, autopsy now. And so they ordered an autopsy. They completed an autopsy and found a huge amount of arsenic in his system. And immediately police were like, nanny. And they went directly to her and they arrested her on suspicion of murder in relation to Samuel's sudden death. Okay. Okay. So then not to get too far ahead of you, but do they connect her to other deaths at this point or? We will get to that in just a second. They have Nanny arrested and detectives are wanting to interview this woman. And they refer to her as a granny because of how old she is at this point in time. So she was very interested in the Romantic Hearts magazine and she just kept reading it and like wouldn't talk to the detectives about anything. So they ended up there. They just took the magazine away and they're like, listen, you're going to talk to us. And throughout the entire conversation that they're trying to like ask her about like these potential murders that she was a part of, she's just giggling with them and flirting the entire time, which is where she got coined to the name Giggling Granny. So it took hours of them interrogating her. And then finally, Nancy ends up confessing to poisoning Samuel Doss. They ask her why. She says it's because he wouldn't let her watch her favorite TV show and she couldn't turn the fan on during hot nights when it was hot outside. Did she admit to any of the other murders at this point? So they were trying to ask her questions about it and she was like, I promise I will talk to you about some things as long as... You returned my magazine to me because I'd like to look through that romantic magazine. And they're like, okay, we, I guess. So she ends up admitting to murdering her grandson, Robert, her second husband, Frank, her third husband, Arlie, her third husband's mother, Arlie Lanning, her sister, Dovey, her mother, Lou, her fourth husband, Richard, and her fifth husband, Samuel. 
but she denies any involvement with the deaths of her two daughters and of her granddaughter. She admits to her grandson, but denies her granddaughter or her two daughters or any of the other deaths. So we've got her sister, her mom, one of her husband's moms. But remember, we had a lot more people than that that we were calculating that they didn't even touch on. And she was not involved with. So she spends a lot of time in jail waiting trial and... She has some different interviews that she does. During this time, they end up exhuming the bodies of eight of her victims, the eight that she confessed to, and they complete autopsies on all of them because they hadn't previously done them. But I think in this one, they're specifically looking for arsenic and they find arsenic in the remains of her other three deceased husbands, her mother. So all four of her deceased husbands and her mother had arsenic. And then the other three had signs of being smothered. So that would be her grandson, her sister, and Arlie's mom. No, my my look was because I was wondering if the arsenic would still be traceable after all that time, which apparently I guess it was. was. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how long that stays in your body, and, and maybe the arsenic goes into, does it go into the bones, the skeletal system? Like, it, I guess it would have to, wouldn't it? Because, it, yeah, it's been years. Yeah. Or there's, like, traces of it within the soil or... I guess I don't know. Yeah, I also something. don't know how long the um, coffins lasted back then either. But anyway, apparently they figured it out. So they did. And they were able to determine how most of them had died. She, they were like, why did you keep getting married and murdering your husbands? And she's like, well, I was just trying to find the perfect man. It seems like she was in this delusion because she was obsessed with romance novels, romance magazine from being a child. Like she was obsessed with it. And then she was constantly trying to find somebody. She was never single for very long. She was always looking for the next person and looking through those columns and like what we would consider dating apps now. Like she was just absolutely obsessed with love. And it's speculated that maybe that head trauma that she'd received as a child had led to this obsession somehow. I think that the head trauma probably played a part in her delusion, but not this specific delusion. Like I think she just was slightly out there. Yeah. And there is obviously some type of money motivator there, too. Absolutely. She was declared sane by four psychiatrists. I don't know how I feel about that, but you know what? It led to her ending up with her sentencing, but she did plead guilty to murder. When they had gone through her sentencing, they didn't consider the death penalty because she was a woman. And at this time, women were not being put to death. On May 17th, 1955, she was sentenced to life in prison. On June 2nd, 1965, so about 10 years after she had been in prison, she did end up dying of leukemia. There was a short interview, which is linked in our description, if you guys want to check it out, that I had watched of her. And so he asked, like, if all of them call her nanny because her name was Nancy. And she's like, some of them do, but some of them also call me mama, which I thought was a little odd. I'm assuming it was just because she was one of the older women in there, probably. He asked, like, if there was one thing you could have in prison, what would it be? And she says her television, which is why I thought it was funny that when she burned the house down, the one thing that they mentioned that she took was her television. She was very interested in that. Well, she clearly likes to get engrossed in these stories, so I'm not that all surprised by it. Yeah, no, not really. He also was like, uh, how long's your sentence? And she said, it's life sentence, And but I hope to get out earlier and be released sooner than that because I would love to take care of my, take my grandchildren from my children and be able to raise them. No. <laughs> exactly. No. No, absolutely not. They did not release her. Like I said, she died in prison. But I thought it was very interesting that that was the one comment that she made in that 
another interesting fact that I thought I'd mention here at the end is she had found a possible husband number six named John Keel in North Carolina. He was a dairy farmer. And she was planning on going out to meet him before she was arrested because her husband had already died. And she even sent him a cake while they were having their communications. Whether or not he ate this cake, I don't know. I also don't think she was poisoning people before she was meeting them. So it was probably a safe cake, but thought that was interesting. During some of her interviews, she was telling people that she would prefer the death sentence because she didn't feel like being in there. But she was like, even in the interview that I was watching, which was just a very short, it was like a four minute clip. She just was seemed happy still. Like she would make jokes about like her murders and stuff and like giggle, like the giggling granny. And she made a joke one time during an interview where they were like, the only job they'll let me do in the prison is laundry. I keep asking to work in the kitchen, but they keep telling me no. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, uh-huh. I, I, I wonder why they're telling you no. No kidding. Just thought it was really interesting. Anyways, that is the story of the giggling granny, otherwise known as Nanny or Nancy Doss. Um, she did have a couple other names, but the most known one is the giggling granny she was officially tied to eight murders there are three other ones that she could have potentially been tied to and possibly other ones that we just don't even know anything about but she i didn't find anything about her children but i'm hoping that melvina and florin were able to move on with their lives after everything that had happened with their mother it is unfortunate with how many people she was able to murder but i am glad that she was finally able to be caught and serve at least some time for all of the crime that she had committed Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.